Welcome to the Conservation Queens podcast. We are five girls who love the earth and have a passion for living a more eco-friendly life. We are real life zoo employees and as always nothing that we say reflects our organizations and all thoughts and opinions are our own. Please keep in mind that we try to keep our podcast PG-13 so if you have younger listeners you may want to review the content beforehand. And with that I'm Kenzie. I'm Abby. And I'm Katie. And with that Let's talk about some stuff. Woo, woo, woo. So it's us three today, the three amigos. 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 Yes. Yeah, sure. I took Spanish. <laughs> um, and we're going to start with our fan shout out, as we always do. And our fan shout out is um, not really to a specific, well, I mean, I'd like to know who the specific fan was. It is wrote... Feedspot app. Yeah, but isn't that like the name of, like, what is it? I don't it, I don't get it. it. It's a blog. Right. For other bloggers question mark? I don't know. We got number 3 on their conservation list. Yeah. It was very so exciting. It, there was an article and it was like t- best 35 conservation podcasts in 2021 and we were number 3. That's pretty three. That That's... is 35 above what I expected. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We just have selling ourselves short. Like we are amazing, and our podcast is awesome. And thanks we're so to amazing everyone that we that ordered business to cards today. We literally did do that to hand out to people in case they're like, "Oh, you're part of a podcast," and you could be like, "Yeah, here's my card with and the QR code to listen to it." With the QR code to that sends you to the link to listen to it, which is I think is very fancy. Emily B said that idea, and I was like, "Wow, perfect, fancy." Yes. So shout out to her too, <laughs> even though she could shout out with to us this week. Our person that we literally have on the podcast. Anyways, we're gonna move right along to conservation updates. I have two this week, and one of them is. <laughs> I'm gonna start with the not so great news, and then we're gonna go to the good news. Um, but this first one is really important to me personally. This is one of my. All-time favorite animals ever, period. Just always on my list in the top five. It is the good old Florida manatee. And I, you know, we yeah, we love them. Exactly. I love them. We all do. Who doesn't? I mean, they're literally, they're also called sea cows. They're cows of the sea. They're giant potatoes that float around. I was by our manatees, and some kid literally was like, they kind of look like cows, and I was like, "Actually, oh my god!" Just pops out of the darkness. Is like, well, wow, actually, you look right. That's like a spot in the aquarium where you can hide in the darkness and then pop out at people too. So I felt so cool. Um, but the unfortunate thing is, 2021 has been the den- deadliest year on record for the Florida manatee, with more than a thousand of them being lost um, this year to pollution and algae blooms. Um, the algae blooms themselves have destroyed the seagrass ecosystems that the manatees depend on for food because they eat that seagrass. Um, so basically the algae has just cut off the sun to the, the seagrass. Seagrass dies. Um, manatees have no food, um, so they are starving to death. Um, this has specifically been the case in Indian River Lagoon, Lagoon here in Florida, which I've actually visited 
um, really awesome, like reserve and has a lot of incredible Florida wildlife. And I was really unfortunate, um, really saddened to hear that this was happening specifically there, but this is kind of the interesting part that I think you guys will find really interesting too, is federal and state wildlife officials are obviously now trying to figure out ways to save the threatened uh, species. Um, and right now they're going with an experimental feeding program. Oh. Uh, so they are actually going yeah. to be providing cabbage and other leafy greens to the starving animals in the wild. Um, this is pretty unprecedented and it comes with a lot of risks. Uh, so we, like, we've definitely talked about manatees on this uh you know, podcast before I probably could do a whole episode about them, but uh, collisions with boats are one of the also one of the leading causes of death for manatees. Uh, so people zoom around too fast on their boats, they just run right over a manatee because manatees are mammals, they breathe air, so they're usually near the surface. Um, so they could poke their little noses up and take a nice breath of air it's the cutest thing ever if you've never seen them do it you just see two little nostrils pop up um but you know unfortunately they get hit by propellers and that can kill them or um, really severely injure them so the more people feed them especially from boats or from docks or wherever they're going to do it the more likely manatees are going to go to those areas where there are more watercrafts more boats more people um, more things that could potentially harm them. So it's like not, it's catch twenty two. It's that. really it's yeah, it's kind of rough. And it's, there is it's also literally desperate times call for desperate measures because right. we've lost so many. We had more minutes gone than any other year in July. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it did happen pretty early on this year. So. Yeah, not great. Um, but yeah, it's a very temporary solution to an issue that has reached a tipping point, mainly due to climate change. That's why the algae blooms have been so severe in recent years, um, but also due to a lot of human activity like pollution and um, boating and other watercraft sports. So this, I think the biggest takeaway here should be while wildlife officials are really doing what they can just to save the population from extinction at the moment this does not mean that people in general should be feeding these manatees Please, no God, um that was like the, the problem scariest thing to me when i was reading this article i was like please do not take this as a cue to go out with your friends with some some lettuce and throw it in the water and feed them um we i'm sure they're going about this in a very careful way they're probably going to vary like um, areas where there are not a lot of act, like human activities going on, um, probably far away from docks or boat, like, you know, watercraft areas, all that, so that they can try and avoid this, or at least I would hope so. Well, you um, need such a specific permit, too, so I'm sure it's not going to just be like well, right. anybody so who shows up. It's going to be like literal scientists. So, well, yeah, it's it's Fish and Wildlife Services, so don't violate the marine mammal protection act and you know go, get close to these uh lovely lovely beings um unless you are a fish and wildlife service official but anyways um ways that you can help manatees though if you're here in florida or even if you're not 
are by picking up trash, making sure it gets to the proper place, especially um, fishing line is a really big thing they can get tangled in as well as so many other, you know, water animals. Um, that was Arthur knocking something off of a shelf. Thank you for that, sir. <laughs> if you hear jingling, that would be Izumi getting in the most inconvenient of places. Well, the cat lady's on tonight. I love oh my god, well, we are true. the cat ladies. Magnolia, I heard she was getting into a box earlier. Is that yeah, true? did you hear the loud crash that came I did down? Not. <laughs> yeah, she she's been exploring the closet and amazing. I think something fell down and of course she started running like about out of hell. I'm like, you you, you did that to yourself, madam. Mm-hmm. We love it. Cats rule. Mm-hmm. Dogs rule. Not no really. Brains. But actually, know. dogs rule a lot. That's true. Actually, <laughs> that is correct. So, anyways, uh, pick up trash. Obey boating laws. Um, so go the speed limit it tells you. Do not zoom through the water if you are, you know, boating here in Florida uh, or doing other water activities. Be careful where you're. Where you're going and look out for manatees um, and obey the Marine Mammal Protection Act. Uh, raise awareness because not a lot of people know that this was such a bad year for manatees. Um, and support rescue and rehab organizations. They are doing, they're, they've actually been pretty overwhelmed this year with the amount of manatees coming in um, due to all these issues. So places like uh, SeaWorld, Zoo Tampa, um, Moat, uh, hello, name other rehab centers, friends. <laughs> um, did Clearwater Aquarium? Oh, uh, Clearwater yes. Aquarium. Yeah. Um, great facility. This is uh, the Florida Aquarium. Did we say Zoo Tampa? Yes, yeah. I said Zoo Tampa. I don't, I didn't think, I don't think the Florida Aquarium does manatee. No, I think, rehab. I think they're mostly sea turtles. Yeah. So, those ones we mentioned there are definitely more those are just the ones i know off the top of my head but that's enough about manatees though it's really never enough about manatees but i digress this is really good news i'm actually really excited to share in light of the primate episode that we did last week uh it is about uh chimpanzees and their portrayal in media and other things that we consume like Uh, For example, greeting cards. So I've talked about this issue in the past, but just to kind of summarize what uh, this is kind of all about. Um, Since 2010, uh, there's a a research center. It's called the Lester E. Fisher Center for the Study and Conservation of Apes. uh, Has been researching the effects on... uh, humans seeing inaccurate media portrayals of chimpanzees and how it affects their view of them. Uh, and basically what this research has been, has found um, for over 10 years now is that when people experience chimpanzees um, depicted as actors in movies on greeting cards, wearing clothes or in human like settings or like, you know, with a big smile or looking silly and cheesy, Um, They are less likely to understand the true endangered status of these animals, uh, which undermines conservation programs designed to assist chimpanzees and other great apes. So obviously over the years, you do not really see chimps on like television shows dressed up in clothes anymore. That's not a thing. You know, we've luckily uh, moved past that, I think, in a big sense. However, um, you would still see 
chimpanzees uh, depicted in this way on greeting cards super often. If you didn't know, um, chimpanzees only bare their teeth if they are very stressed or uh, aggressive. So (laughs) while to us a smile is a fun, happy thing that we do to express when we are, you know, happy and friendly, um, it is uh, quite the opposite for most um, primates out there bearing teeth as a sign of aggression or stress, stress or submission. So um, just interesting how we will anthropomorphize animals in that sense. But, you know, having these images constantly in popular media, movies, advertisement, greeting cards, what have you, um, really undermines conservation work so the really good news is that this happened uh last week is that cbs pharmacy um announced that they have banned the sale of reading cards featuring unnatural images of great apes which like seems like a small action but it's it really will have a positive impact and that's what this research has like shown for the past 10 years um they the lester e fisher center for the study of conservation of great apes um is at the lincoln park zoo uh they do so much incredible work in regards to chimpanzees and other uh, great apes especially in the research field so like just super cool that um this research was able to literally take that stuff off of the greeting card market like again it seems like a small thing but I don't know. I'm really happy about it. <laughs> um, it's a I good thing. It's, like, it's funny because, um, you know, like my grandparents are grandparents as we all have grandparents. And for my birthday, they often will get me greeting cards with chimpanzees on them or like other primates or monkeys or what have you, because they know I like them, but I can't like, but it's always in like, you know, it's, it's a chimpanzee that's like smiling a big toothy grin and I'm like mm. <laughs> mm. Yeah, so feeling a little yeah. uncomfy you're like Ooh. <laughs> yeah and like it's just that's like sort of thing that seems so harmless like you don't realize how then when people think of chimpanzees they're like oh silly ape um, he's on my greeting cards making a big smile you don't think of them as a very threatened species out in wild places. So yeah, it's a win. I'm going to stop with my conservation updates there. Those <laughs> two are just like really big, I think, piece of the news. So I'm just happy to share them with y'all. We love it. Yeah. We will take any good news that we can. So, Well, unfortunately, yeah. I have some bad Zoom news. No! <laughs> <laughs> I have one good one. Don't worry. Um, this first one is, uh, if you remember last week or last episode, we talked about the Columbus Zoo and they appealed for accreditation. Um, well, they did not win their appeal for their accreditation. They did not succeed. No. So they'll be able to apply for it again in, um, for AZ accreditation again in September, 2022. So luckily it's less than a year away. Um, in the meantime, this new CEO who I am now a huge fan of, his name is Tom Schmid. He is a former AZA Inspector of the Year, so he knows what he's talking about. Uh, He came from the Texas Aquarium to Columbus, and he said he's going to work towards restoring Columbus' reputation as well as its accreditation. Um, If you are wondering, should I still go visit the Columbus Zoo, 
The answer is yes. From a visitor standpoint, not much is going to be changed while you're there. It's still a very good zoo. They just have some kinks to work out because of some not so good people that are no longer there. So, yeah, that's a very good point. Yeah. So if you are like on the fence about visiting, I would say that we have given our recommendation that it is okay to visit that place. Because <laughs> we're the expert. <laughs> we kind of are. So you can listen to us. Form your own opinions. But in my opinion, if I were going to Ohio anytime soon, I would still go to Columbus Zoo. Yeah. Right. Here, here. I have some more sad news. Okay. Oh, I mean, this isn't really, I mean, it's sad in a sense, but it's also like, wow, that's, that's kind of great though. Yeah. yeah so good unfortunately see. the oldest orangutan in human care has died. She was 49 years old. But she was old. So like, you know, <laughs> she lives. So her life. name was Miladi and she lived at the Woodland Park Zoo. Uh, she way outlived her wild counterparts' uh, average lifespans. What is um, the average lifespan um, for now? I mean, I could take a, a wild guess at it. I my... I don't know for sure, but I'm guessing it's around thirty because I don't think it's as long as gorillas. That's what I was was gonna guess that I'm looking up. Um, between thirty five and forty five years. Okay, so... I imagine that's like that sounds like a lifespan for like. Orangutans and zoos. Yeah, but, it's not so. like a lifespan for wild ones, which is like not okay. Uh, yeah, so this is why Google. I have questions sometimes because <laughs> it just said that. Wait, did it say she was the oldest orangutan that ever lived? No, or the human oldest care currently. Currently, okay, never mind. The o- oldest orangutan that ever lived was sixty when they passed. Oh my god! Which. Still, that's like way past the uh, average. So, okay, well, yeah, and Miladi did not die of natural causes. Um, she died from surgery complications. Um, but she will be missed, and our hearts go out to the whole Woodland Park Zoo team, especially the orangutan keepers, because that's really hard. Yeah, yeah. But you did a good job because that lady was forty-nine years old. Right? <laughs> she would have been fifty um, on the twenty-seventh of December this year. Now, we don't have beluga news this week, but I have porcupine news. <laughs> oh, yeah. The segment Abby's wish to add for a long time now. Every time that uh, Emily is absent, we just replace it with our favorite animal news. Yeah. And you know what? It's probably good that I, she's not absent very much because there's not a whole lot of porcupine news out there. <laughs> you just have to look hard for it. I have. There's not a lot of porcupine news out there. <laughs> Um, but we do have some this week. There are two baby Cape porcupines which are from Africa at the Rosamund Gifford Zoo, and they just got their names from a public poll. And their names are Nettle and Fennel. Oh, stop! That's cute. All of the porcupines <laughs> are named after spices. Uh, I, as a horticulturalist uh, with a spice garden at work, I am I'm very happy about that. Uh, isn't that the cutest thing you've ever heard in your whole life? It is very very cute. And they're very cute, and I love them. Amazing. So that's the end of Zoo News for this week. Oh, are we going to tell everyone what we're actually oh, talking yeah. about? That's me too. Um, awkward <laughs> transitions with the Conservation Queens, the number three podcast according to a blog. <laughs> um, this week to celebrate the holidays, so happy holidays to everybody, 
Um, we would like to talk about an animal that is very heavily associated with this time of year. <laughs> and that's reindeer. Ooh, Reindeers ooh. are better than people. And we will get to Frozen. Don't worry. <laughs> I was really worried. Yeah, Abby has lived her whole life just for this moment. I don't know if the people know, um, but as I sit here, I am surrounded by a lot of Frozen. The girl uh, loves Frozen. I may say, dare say obsessed. I would say that's fair. Uh, I wore Anna's queen crown for my wedding. So, And you looked very good in it. She did. Thank you. Thank you. That was 10 out of 10. We'll wear it every year afterwards. Um, Anyway. There's a lot of things that people don't know about reindeer. Um, growing up where reindeer could survive, but not they don't, they're not there in the wild. But the Minnesota Zoo and the Como Zoo both have reindeer. So I learned a lot about them because I worked there. Um, and there are some things that will definitely surprise you about caribou. So I'm hoping to kind of blow both your minds today a little I'm bit. I'm ready for my mind to be blown. Are you, Katie? Yeah. Well, let's get started. I don't started. know that much about reindeers. So let's Oh, go. Oh, Besides wow. that they're better than people, which is true. Um, reindeer or caribou, which I'll explain in a minute, are members of the Cervidae family, which are the true deer. The largest member of that is the moose. Moose. So. Meese. Moose. Mice. Meese. <laughs> it's all the same thing. It's fine. Don't look into that. Um, the species of reindeer is called Rangifer, Rangifer Tarandus or Rangifer Tarandus. You know, a word. You know, a couple weeks ago when Emily and I tried to pronounce those Latin names together. That was so funny. I enjoyed editing that episode so much. We were both really tired. Could you tell? Yes. Um, Anyway, the species of reindeer is broken up into several subspecies, and they're based on different populations by location. And I'm going to list them all for you now, and I'm not going too far into detail of any of them because we have a couple more that we're going to talk about more in depth. They are the Busk Reindeer from Woodland, Russia. The Labrador reindeer from Tundra, Quebec, and surprisingly, Labrador, Canada. The woodland reindeer, which live in the southern Canada boreal forests. The porcupine reindeer, bear, 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 bear. <laughs> um, arguably the most famous of the reindeer. The um, most but... famous reindeer of all. <laughs> Sorry. I didn't connect those dots. When I'm just going to be interjecting uh, all the reindeer puns I know during this episode. Oh, Thank gosh. You. We're going to get through all of Rudolph. Um, so the porcupine reindeer live in the tundra of Alaska and the Yukon of Canada. The Finnish forest reindeer live in the forests of woodland Russia and Finland. Um, the barren ground reindeer live in Tundra Nunavut, Northwest Territories of Canada and Greenland. The Osborne reindeer live in woodland British Columbia. The Novaya Zemlya. I'm so sorry for anyone Girl, I don't even know correctly. how you're pronouncing most of these. I also didn't know there were this many reindeer out there. I didn't know that until about the, the three hours ago. Yeah. So Where there's so many. We'll talk about it. Um, that's the archipelago in Russia. It's called the Novaya Zemlya. That's the name of an archipelago in Russia. There's the Perry reindeer, which are the high Arctic islands of northwest Canada. The Kamchikan reindeer, which are on the <laughs> woodland Kamchikta. Peninsula of Russia. I'm trying. You're doing, you're doing great. I know this one, the Svalbard reindeer, because yes! on TikTok, there's this dog oh, named Grim yeah. who lives Grimm. in the island of Svalbard. 
Oh my god. I also love that TikTok. He's so good. He delivers messages. He does. Also, I just like the way that woman talks. Like, she has a cool accent. Yeah, I want to be friends with her. She sounds like an awesome lady. Um, So, Svalbard, reindeer on the island of Svalbard, which is an island close to the North Pole, um, which is in Norway, technically. The Siberian tundra reindeer, which live in the Siberian tundra. Uh, The mountain reindeer, or Norwegian reindeer, they're called both. They live in Norway, and I said island, which... I'm assuming it's just Norwegian islands because I didn't. I don't know which island. There's a lot of them. Um, the Newfoundland reindeer, which are in Newfoundland, Canada, and finally the Siberian forest reindeer, which are in the Ural and Altai Mountains of Siberia and Russia. So there's 15 subspecies. Oh dear. And there's so many because they're all separate populations. They all slightly vary in size um, and sometimes color, but color is kind of a different beast, which we all know from every other kinds of deer ever um now if you're wondering if something is a reindeer or a caribou it can be confusing because it's technically the same animal it really depends on where you're from literally don't understand this well i'm about to explain it because i'm so glad (laughs) and then i have an anecdote which is very funny um in europe and asia reindeer refer to all members of our tyrandus so every single animal it's called a reindeer. Make sense? <laughs> Everyone's a reindeer. Everybody's a, Yeah, just exactly what I said. Um, in North America, domestic artenandus are called reindeer, while wild artenandus are called caribou. Okay, yeah. I don't know. I, I don't know, know why. That. It's because but... Santa domesticated them, so he called and them And then they reindeer. became reindeer, and then they spread to Europe. That's exactly what happened, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then it became wild again. So my funny anecdote is there was one year I was working at zoo camp and I was asking the kids what the difference between reindeer and caribou were because I wanted to see if any of them knew. Um, and in Minnesota, there's a coffee shop called Caribou, which is uh-huh. the best coffee shop in the whole wide world. Oh. And so one kid raised his hand and he goes, well, my mom drinks caribou. <laughs> and I was like, well... You got me there, kid. Yeah, I was like, you're not wrong. She probably does. But I meant like the animal. Uh, But it was really funny. And that was one of my favorite things the kids ever said to me. Um, So reindeer are actually one of the largest species of deer. And they are only found around the North Pole, which is really, really cool. So they're my people. Uh, They come in many colors from almost all the way black to almost all the way white. And every shade of brown in between. So they're beautiful, especially in big herds. And they definitely live in big herds. So the antlers. Every other deer species, only males grow true antlers. But reindeers, male and females, both grow true antlers. Amazing. And here's gender equality. Well, here's where it gets crazy. Are you ready? Oh, I'm ready. So they don't have their antlers at the same time. They have them at different times of the year. So males have their antlers um, until fall when they finish their rut, when they drop them, which is in like September and uh, September to November, depending. The females lose the antlers after spring, after they calve, which means all of Santa's reindeer are female because they still have antlers. (laughs) Girl power. Literally girl power. Rudolph's a girl. It's amazing. (laughs) 
everything you know is a lie. Yes, and I don't want to hear the magic excuse because this is nature. <laughs> but you probably These could argue facts, with the magic excuse. Okay? Yeah. Reindeers can fly and they're girls. <laughs> oh, actually, um, so we were talking about reindeers in um at our office the other day before work. And apparently the flying reindeer legend comes because reindeer eat a special kind of lichen. That's what they usually eat. It's like they also call it reindeer moss. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's also a lot of mushrooms that grow in that area. Mm-hmm. And so when the local people saw reindeer eating a lichen, they're like, oh, we could eat that too in the winter, right? Oh. Um, but then when you see reindeer all like running across snow at the same time, and it's just blank white, it kind of looks like they're flying. So oh. we think it's probably just because of hallucinogenic mushrooms. Oh, I really, my really love that. God. I really love that. That is, that is very on brand for humanity in general. Um, it's so good. It's it's pretty great. So people only think reindeer fly because they were high on mushrooms, and now it's a kid's story. <laughs> Incredible. That's great. That's great. Oh, reindeers are one of the best animals on the planet. Um, studies have actually shown that females with more impressive antlers tend to have more successful offspring. So the better yes. the antlers, the higher status you have in the herd, which means you get the best care for the calves because you get the best feeding grounds. Um, reindeer tend to like kind of help each other with their calves too. So they get like priority feeding times and priority milking times for the calves. Uh, and then if you have shitty antlers, then your kids are more screwed, I guess. Makes sense. Wah, wah. Wah, wah. Now, you might be wondering, how in the heck can this deer live so close to the North Pole and not just, like, freeze, right? Um, they use something called countercurrent heat exchange. Have you heard of this before? No. No, I don't think so. Like, uh, enlighten us. Uh, this is another thing that I think I only learned about in college because I went to college so far north. <laughs> um, but basically... In countercurrent heat exchange, blood vessels um, are really, really close together near the surface of the skin and the legs. And what that does is when the new blood is rushing out, it actually helps warm the blood that's coming back into the body. Mm, so it oh. makes it helps maintain their internal body temperature a lot better, hmm. which is pretty cool. Yeah. Um, they also do it really heavily in their noses so they can warm the air as it comes in. And that sometimes makes their noses appear red. Get out of town. I'm not kidding. It all's coming together. It makes sense. Mushrooms and countercurrent heat exchange. And you get brutal. The stories we know and love today. (laughs) It's so good. Incredible. Um, To get even cooler, reindeer hooves are slightly webbed. Um, which makes for great snowshoes because they can spread out in the snow a lot farther. Um, Mm -hmm. Their hooves are adapted and changed between summer and winter months. So in the summer, their pads are really squishy like a sponge. And in the winter, they become harder and smaller and they expose the hooves a little bit more so they can grip the ice better. That's really cool. Yeah, it's like built-in crampons if you know what a crampon is. But that's also maybe a North person thing. I think that might be a North person thing, but um, I think I read somewhere too, isn't the shape of the hoof because it's so paddle shaped, it actually allows them to swim really well also? Yeah, they can swim too. 
That makes sense because when you think of like moose, they also are pretty good swimmers. Mm-hmm. Moose are so scary but so cool. <laughs> Agreed. I also love moose. <laughs> um, now to the part where I start liking reindeer like even more because they start becoming weird and not just cool. And you know how I feel about weird animals. You love them. They communicate through knee clicks. What? So their tendons will like snap in their knees, the males, mm-hmm. and the frequency of your knee clicks will help establish dominance. What? Which means that I would be the most dominant reindeer because I have clicky knees every <laughs> single day. Establishes my dominance in a herd of reindeer. Because I have no cartilage knees. in my knees. <laughs> it's really fun. <laughs> um, mating season is September through November. And calving season is usually May to June. Uh, and it's usually after migration for some populations. Some don't migrate, but a lot do. And migration is one of the most amazing things that reindeers do. So speaking of migrations, <laughs> oh boy, the annual reindeer migrations have been compared to the wildebeest migration of Africa. Which is a, quite the migration. Which is quite the migration. So if you've seen pictures of that, Imagine that, but with reindeer in the snow. And half of them are, like, pregnant, which is insane. Um, specifically, the porcupine subspecies of reindeer move from northeast Alaska to Canada every winter, um, which doesn't sound very far until you remember how big Alaska and Canada are. Um, they cover a range roughly the size of California every single year in their migration which is the longest migration of any land mammal on earth, including wildebeest. Isn't that insane? Yeah, that's pretty insane. I can't imagine just walking that far. (laughs) Um, Wildlife agencies in Alaska and Canada work together with indigenous peoples to help manage the porcupine herd. Um, There's even an advisory board with representatives from several different tribes and um, government officials working together um, and that's not just true of the porcupine herd, because Kenzie, you're going to tell us about how other indigenous tribes have also worked with reindeer. Yes, and I'm very, very excited for this. So the indigenous peoples of North America have been using caribou for thousands and thousands of years in what is now present day Canada and Alaska. Um, and the traditional lifestyles of Inuit people, Northern First Nations people, Alaska Natives, and the Kal- Kalit Am I pronouncing that right? I am not an expert. I'm sure. Um, I apologize if I pronounce this wrong, but the- Please correct us. Yeah, please correct us. Uh, In Greenland, caribou is a source of food, clothing, shelter, and tools. They use pretty much every single piece of the reindeer and they let nothing go to waste. Uh, They were the original zero waste heroes. Pretty much, (laughs) yeah. And there are still people today who rely on caribou, including the caribou Inuit peoples, that sounded right but again correct us correct us i'm probably going to go look this up later um and the galician people of canada and alaska have depended on the porcupine caribou for millennia they are just as important as bison are to the indigenous tribes of the north american prairies but one of the oldest conservation relationships between reindeer and humans is actually found in Scandinavia with the Sami people. 
I'm actually very excited to talk about this because I was privileged enough to visit Sweden and actually learn more about the Sami culture there. And we did encounter a couple reindeer on our way <gasps> up to Abisko National Park, which oh is amazing. God. If you ever get the chance, highly recommend to go up there. Uh, the Sami are pretty much the last indigenous tribe in Europe and have long helped the reindeer of Scandinavia on their migration. The reindeer herding groups of the Sami are called the Sidat, several families and their reindeer herds. They have domestic reindeer that they raise, but they are also known and famous for helping herd wild populations migrate north. And while we were there, we may or may not have purchased reindeer skins. That was made by the Sami people and profits went back to their community. And it's very, very soft and I can see why they need them in winter. Um, excellent, excellent insulation against the cold. And waterproof, and automatically. Waterproof. Yes, excellent point, excellent point. <laughs> now, speaking of the Sami people, though, uh, I believe our friend Abby, you have a really interesting tidbit. So now we're on to the Frozen <laughs> podcast, which is going to be my spinoff <laughs> podcast. There she goes. That we've decided, because you know how we're all having spinoffs now? Mine's I the mean, Frozen one. Yeah. I have a um, so if you've seen Frozen 2... Awesome. If you haven't, spoiler alert for not like the plot, but just some cool things. Um, and if you haven't seen it yet, it's been like two years. What are you doing? Um, you've both seen Frozen 2, right? Oh, yeah. yes. Of course. Oh, thank God. Okay. Um, so the Nilfoldra people are a really heavy plot point in Frozen 2. Um, it's found out that Anna and Elsa's mom was Nilfoldra, and they are actually based on the Sami tribes which is really cool. Um, now, luckily the filmmakers did it right. So they literally signed a contract with the Sami people. They visited their tribes. Um, there's a special on Disney Plus talks about like the making of Frozen 2. And they talk a lot about this as well, which is awesome. And the contract was to respectfully portray the Sami culture. Um, and one of the most interesting things I learned today is the dam in the film is like a major plot point. The like... Um, Arendellians build like a giant dam and it like ruins the whole ecosystem for the Nilfoldra yeah, people. And all the spirits are like, um, that wasn't cool. And now we're gonna all attack. Um, and then there was like genocide, which is also not cool. Yeah, not cool. No. Um, but apparently for the Sam the Sami people, there's actually a hydroelectric plant that was constructed against their will, which parallels the dam. That was constructed in Frozen 2. So have um, giant stone monsters like destroyed that yet or no? Um, I don't think so. Well, that's unfortunate. Well, other nods to the, um, the Sami people in just Frozen in general is the song Vuele, which is the opening song. Of this. It's like the na, 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 hey, ya, na. That is a bop. A bop and recorded <laughs> by a Sami choir. Oh, if I, if I remember I correctly, or at least like with some Sami members, um, it's a traditional song for them. And if you watch the film, you'll see a lot of parts of the Sami culture that are portrayed um, and correctly because the filmmakers did their research and try to do the most respectful job they could, which is good because that's where we should be going with this kind of thing. Um, so that was, was just like a really cool part about Frozen 2. And also Loki, Kristoff is wearing kind of Sami traditional clothing as well, even though for, as far as I know, he's not Sammy. Oh, boy was raised by trolls. We don't really know where he came from. So yeah. that's what who's, Frozen 3 who's is for. To say, yeah. Right. 
why did the trolls kidnap Kristoff? Did they kidnap him, or did he? Like, I don't actually know. That willingly... one troll was just like, "Oh, you're cute. I'm gonna keep you." But he was with other people. But he seemed happy about it. He was it. with other people. I'm just saying. But he was, he was a child. He didn't know better. But Sven's an animal, and he has animal instincts, and he was fine with it. Sven has like two brain cells bouncing around uh, in his Sven little can animated a head. Seventeen part harmony. I don't know if you've seen the movie. But he's an impressive reindeer. All right. All right. <laughs> well, now to our conservation part, which has nothing to do with frozen. You know, about real reindeer that we've been talking about for this episode. So now that we've debated the merits on whether or not Kristoff was actually kidnapped by the legal definition, uh, <laughs> conservation <laughs> conversation. Let's get into it. Now, because reindeer live in Arctic and subarctic regions, their existence is consistently threatened by, you guessed it, climate change. Whoa. Whoa. Nobody saw that coming. Uh, Due to Earth's rising temperature, reindeer are actually beginning to struggle finding the primary food source, uh, lichens and moss, which Apple mentioned earlier. To cut in, Mm -hmm. um, back to the Sami people, um, because they help herd the reindeer every year, they usually use, like, they use snowmobiles now. Obviously, in the past, they did not use snowmobiles. Um, but they actually will put out food for the reindeer because climate change has made it so hard for them to find food. Yeah. And they have <sighs> special permission from the government um, in Scandinavia to do this. But they there's a really great video on YouTube about the, um, the Sami people and how they, like, assist this reindeer herd. And it's insane. Yeah, it's it's pretty wild. And it's very it's an interesting dynamic up in Sweden because our guides would tell us that the Sami people are sometimes looked down upon or seen as having special favor by day to day Swedish or Scandinavia people, even though obviously the Sami people have that right and that claim to their way of life and those lands and those resources, including the caribou. But anyways, back to caribou. Uh, (laughs) So a study was actually put forward by the University of Washington, which actually linked an increase in rainfall in the Arctic to the decrease of food supply. How does that work? I will be 110% honest. I just read the blurb. I will send you (laughs) the link to the actual article. I'm assuming it's because, I don't know, lichens and moss are used to being in a more drier environment per se well, those those species for sure yeah yeah um but what can we do to to help this well remember to do your part in living sustainable and reducing your carbon footprint we've talked about this a lot carpool reduce your plastic waste and consumption in general turn uh, your lights off yeah turn your lights off you don't need your christmas lights on during the day no one's looking no. for that no. Also, save your electricity bill when you do that as well. See, Get more. solar panels on your house. If you can. That's, um, <laughs> yeah. Hold That's a goal. That's yeah. a bigger ask. Yeah. Um, but what really needs to happen is hold companies and governments accountable by voting. I feel like I'm beating a dead horse because this is my message every year or every episode. Part of me. Uh, both at the cash register and at the ballot. Ron DeSantis, I'm looking at you. I'm looking at oh, you, buddy. Yeah. 
Uh, also donate the season to a conservation organization to help combat climate change or donate to your favorite wildlife cause. Uh, this is the season of giving after all. Donate in someone's name for a organization that they feel particularly strong about or a cause. Also, since we talked about indigenous peoples and their stewardship, with reindeer and the land in general, uh, make sure to continue to learn about indigenous peoples and cultures. If you are here in North America, look up and see what tribal lands once historically belonged to said indigenous peoples, donate, learn more about them, purchase um, products that were made and go directly to indigenous peoples because let's be honest, uh, we here in the West have a really bad track record with, with indigenous peoples. and Not that the East doesn't have a better track record, let's be real here. No, no one's we, got a good track no record. No one has a good track record. We're really mean to each other. <laughs> <laughs> be nice to each other. Be nice to it's each other. It is a time of, uh, of holidays and giving too, so like great gift ideas right there. Yeah, there you go. There Support you go. small businesses. Yes. We love. I adopted my mother-in-law, a meerkat. Oh, wow. We love, love that. Because she always keeps talking about how she wants to get a meerkat. Hey, Robin. Uh, and I told her she couldn't have one as a pet because they're not in any way, shape, or form a good pet. And so I adopted her a meerkat and she started crying. She was so excited. Oh, I got um, all the queens um, a conservation-related gift, but I can't say what it is until... <gasps> After they receive it, so then I will will tell you guys what it is because I want to plug it in this podcast. <laughs> in in recent years, because I move around a lot, I don't really want physical gifts. So when people in my family ask what I want, I just tell them, you know, donate to certain organizations, and I'll give them a list of organizations to donate each year if they so yeah. if they so choose to we love that or yeah. make your own gifts i yeah. made a lot of my presents this year uh including for you guys i'm not gonna tell you exactly what they're made out of but mm. i had a lot of stuff left over from my wedding and so i use a lot of my leftover stuff to make presents for you we love that so they're recycled yeah and they come with the greatest gift of all love friendship Abby. oh <laughs> <laughs> We were kind of going for the same vibe, but, you know, different, different, different ways, different ways. <laughs> wow. We probably should end this because we're getting loopy. Yeah, I'm, we are. I'm tired and I am actually working right now on a Christmas gift. So, <laughs> Ooh. well, my friends, thank you for joining us this week. Uh, if you would like to become a patron, bow, 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 please do on patreon.com slash conservation queens podcast um in the new year we might be doing bonus episodes which you can't hear unless you donate because we won't let you listen to them unless you give us money that will then eventually benefit animals um we have social media we have on instagram and facebook we are conservation queens podcast we have a website you can search conservation queens podcast for that, where I have links to all of our different suggestions for conservation organizations that you might want to check out. And did I miss any? No, I think you got it. No, for Christmas, it. share the beauty of a podcast with your friends. The- there you go. Because <laughs> as you may or may not know, since we've said it about 50 times, we are the number three conservation podcast. Number three. Number three. Next year, we're going we're gonna to be number one, baby. That is... Very bold of you, Katie, but I appreciate it. No, we are. I'm determined. Okay, sounds good. 
Well, my friends, thank you so much for joining us this week. Go out there and say sustainable. Bye. 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 Also, happy holidays. Happy holidays. Happy holidays. Happy holidays. Oh, 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 oh.